The difference with luxury service in getting that premium is that it is not just transactional, it becomes relationship driven. That's not easy to do. And I'm gonna use one of your words, right? You're the chief heart officer. You have to hire the right people that have the right heart that have that propensity to deliver amazing, exceptional service. And it's going to be above and beyond and doing what most people don't because you are anticipating their unexpected and often unpronounced needs. Hey everyone, I'm Claude Silver and I am an emotional optimist. For me, there is absolutely no false or toxic positivity in emotional optimism. It is simply an awareness that we have the capacity to influence how we feel and how we think. And that even in our darkest times, we know that the light is actually always there. So join me as I ask each and every one of my guests what emotional optimism means to them. It is so great to see you. Happy New Year. I think it's okay to say that still. And uh, it's just lovely to see your light and your uh, your handsome face. So thank you for joining me today. No, thank you. Always fun to be able to chat with you. Yep, yep. Um, I wanted to get started with really just going into your background and kind of your origin story. And who were you as a kid? Do you remember... What yeah. you wanted to be when you grew up, those types wow. of things. And where did you grow up? Yeah, I'll share all that with you and the listeners. I grew up in Pittsburgh. So on occasion, you're still going to hear a little bit of a Pittsburgh accent downtown in Yins. <laughs> but I try to get rid of that. But I'm very proud of Pittsburgh. And, uh, you know, grew up. Um, my father was an educator. My mother was also an educator. So two teachers, an artistic background. And when I was growing up, uh, two older sisters I, for some reason, and I think this was instilled by my mother, I was always trying to take care of the underdog. And I did not remember this story. And she shared it with me recently. And I actually put it in the book that we were playing kickball. This was elementary school. I was the captain for the day. And I chose Betsy. And my mother described it as red-haired, pink-faced, rosy girl that was not an athlete. But for some reason, because she always got picked last, I wanted to include her. And now that she remembers, I guess Betsy went home and told her mother, et cetera, et cetera. But I was always trying to take care of people that I felt that needed it, that wanted to be included, that weren't, and to be recognized. And I don't know why it happened that way, but I have been doing that my whole life. I want to help people that need help. But yet if there's people that are cocky and egotistical, I am totally against what they stand for and probably will not interact. <laughs> Point taken. Excellent. So I know a bit of your journey, but I'd love for you to share how you got into the hospitality world. What was yeah. the what was the the journey that, you know, from college on or 18 years sure. on, you know, your first jobs? Yeah, I got into hospitality. My father helped me with getting a job at a country club. And that is just what, what we did. He was painting signs for them as an artist and introduced me and then I started working there. And I can't tell you that I fell in love with that industry because we talk about emotional optimism and treating people well. 
I'll never forget. It was probably my second week on the job and I was working at a country club um, in the mixed grill serving as a bartender. And this was when people were permitted to smoke. And I will never forget. There was a woman that just thought she was better than me because she had more money than me. And she was smoking and she was looking for an ashtray. And I'm like, I don't have one right here, but let me get one for you. And she flicked her ashes at me and threw her lit cigarette at me. This is my first job. So it's probably, I played a lot of sports, but it was probably 18 years old. And that just also then taught me a lesson. I never want to treat people that way. And nor do I ever want to be treated that Mm. way. But I couldn't do anything about it at the time. Yeah. So that was my first foray into hospitality. And I can't tell you that I loved it or I fell in love, but I was always more of an intellectual thinker. I want to see what people do, how they think, how they feel, how they act, and then build that into my own life and then send it out again. I realized that being a thinker or being a writer was probably not going to be able to pay the bills. And my sister had gone to Penn State. She studied hospitality. She would come back and talk about her classes. And I'm like, It seems to be a nice mixture of people, of heart, of service, as well as business. So that's what I got into. Um, And just, you know, until recently, uh, 32 years in hospitality, 16 years most recently leading a global sales team for Ritz-Carlton, pandemic hit, sadly. And that's the last time I will mention that. Most of my team was going to be losing their jobs. And I wrote a book that I shared with you. Most people Mm -hmm. don't. And, and why you should, I wrote it about six years ago, just as um, as a legacy to my family. And I wanted to, to, to have something for people to be able to read down the road about me. You know, my kids could say, my dad wrote a book. Well, it became very popular, kind of unbeknownst to the intention. It became very popular. And then people started asking me to speak on the topic of it. So I would take time off from my full-time job, go and chat and share the ideas about exceptional doing and making the extra effort and going above and beyond and sharing kindness very much to what you are true all and all about. And then I decided when, with the pandemic happening, let me shift, let me tear down the cabinets and let me pursue what I've always wanted to pursue. And it is presenting, sharing kindness, positivity, training, and really sharing the word about most people don't. So that's how it, that's how we are where we are, that the pandemic happened for me. It didn't happen to me. And it gave me the nudge, the encouragement <laughs> that I needed to be able to try something that was a little bit scary. Yeah. I love it. I mean, total growth mindset, right? Total like, okay, uh, I'm gonna cho- I'm gonna choose courage right here over comfort. And you know, get step step up to the plate and let's see where we get where we get to. And you happen to have already had content. Obviously, you have lived experience. You have the experience that you uh, that you gained every single day in your jobs, but also you had written a book. You were kind of ready to roll in some aspects or most aspects, I guess. And even when I was a recruiter before I was in global sales, I was a recruiter for Ritz Carlton, so I was collecting so many people, right? I don't have as many followers as you as LinkedIn, but I'm getting there, you know, a good number. And then in addition to, I think the content of ideas that I was seeing about people going above and beyond, luckily I also had many contacts and these were, you know, meeting planners and executive directors that needed to hire speakers to come in and share good ideas. Hmm. Yeah, it is really, a, it was a win-win and and you're right. The, the pandemic 
it's almost as though the pandemic and you um, uh, were in cahoots together. Yes. To yeah. um, the sun is amazing. The sun is really just like framing my face right there. <laughs> and oh I see little rainbows on your face too. Oh, Beautiful. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about. I want to go into hospitality more and yeah. customer service and and actually, is there a difference between exceptional customer service, exceptional hospitality, and hospitality, mediocre. So people pay a a pretty penny to go to the Ritz-Carlton, and you pay a different type of penny, still a penny, to go to the airport Hilton. What is the, is there a difference in that customer service, or should there be one? And I think the answer is absolutely and that is the premise that luxury hotels are built on. And Ritz-Carlton with phenomenal reputation and legacy, that's really what it's all about. And it's so funny, when I started working for Ritz-Carlton, my father was still alive. And uh, he came down to visit and we stayed, he stayed at one of the hotels in Pentagon City. And he's just like, Bart, you know, I'm just curious, how much would this room cost? And it was like three, $400. And he's just like, well, why? And he's used to with this artist mentality, this teacher mentality, when he would do art festivals, he would stay at XYZ local roadside motel and he paid $25. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that was a lot for him. So um, I, I think there's some table stakes with regard to hospitality. A lot of salespeople representing hotels will talk about square footage. They'll talk about their 43 inch or 50 inch television screen. They'll even talk about, it's so funny, uh, cable television. Like, are you kidding me? Cable television and TV, that's something you really want to talk about. All of these things are table stakes. But it's the stories that people are able to tell about exceptional experiences. So, yes, someone can check into the front desk and be pleasant and look up away from the computer to monitor, look someone in the eye, and that is a transaction, The difference with luxury service in getting that premium is that it is not just transactional, it becomes relationship driven. That's not easy to do. So you have to find the people, and I'm going to use one of your words, right? You're the chief heart officer. You have to hire the right people that have the right heart, that have that propensity to deliver amazing, exceptional service. And it's going to be above and beyond and doing what most people don't. It's going to be listening, noticing that people are coming in and perhaps they're talking about a birthday celebration. Someone that's coming in and it's very, very late at night and and you heard them talking about being hungry. Well, maybe you send them a little plate of cookies because you are anticipating their unexpected and often unpronounced needs. So it's being observant. And that's not easy. That's not easy when so many people are focused in on themselves. And I know we talk about, and you and I have talked about empathy an awful lot, but how can you put yourself into another person's shoes to understand perhaps what might they need? Not easy to do, but the companies that do it well are exceptional, to use your term. I I love that you just broke that down. And I'm sitting here thinking about the times I've had exceptional service uh, or been treated been treated beyond the norm maybe how i would have treated someone 
or had that kind of surprise and delight waiting for me in a room or, or um, you know, extra towels or whatever it is. And you actually said exceptional doing earlier. So I, I took your word of exceptional because I okay. do, you know, even in the teams that I've created and the teams that I've been on uh, in my career, I've always wanted us to be exceptional at what we do. And there is a big difference between transactional, to your point, and relation, relationship, connection. And it is tough if you're checking someone in. You might have five minutes. You might have three minutes. You might have 11 minutes. But to create that, you know, Mrs. Silver, Mr. Silver, so forth and so on, in a blink of an eye and understand what my uh unexpected needs are you just, that's what that's your word that is genius yeah and often Claudia, it doesn't need to cost a lot of money either right you know and, and you'll you'll hear a story a very dear friend of mine one of my mentors in the hospitality industry said one of his best service experiences it wasn't that they gave him m ms like a a, a big bowl of m ms uh it wasn't that they gave him um sparkling water it was that they knew he had an early flight the next day out. They knew he had a rental car. They filled it up with gas before he left. So he wouldn't have to stop along the way and return the rental car with a full tank of gas. With a little handwritten note, Bruce, I know you're busy. I took the liberty of filling up your tank. Have a great day. Wow. Right? Simple. Wow. Simple. Simple. It's, wow. um it's 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 those things that we can do simply by listening and observing. Mm -hmm. It's it's sending someone a book through the mail to say mm -hmm. thank you. Yep. It's it's sending someone stuffed animals through the mail. Mm -hmm. It's I look at what my wife does all the time. She knows that one of our neighbors loves uh wet wedding cookies and biscotti. She'll whip up a batch if she knows that something is going on and she hasn't seen their car for a few days. Like mm -hmm. Like those things, right? And yeah. think about what your what your nana would do yeah, for others. Okay. Sorry, I, I couldn't wait to bring her into this I conversation. Know, know. But, She's always here. Oh my gosh, right? Scooping you up with love, but just <laughs> even as you had shared at the uh, and I'll never forget this story because I've heard it twice from you, you know, at the grocery store, you know, looking at the name badge, Mark, would you do me a favor? Would you have a pleasant day? Right. Like that, that even something like that didn't cost a cent. Yeah. But will that is exceptional uh, human interaction that will allow that memory to go on and on and on. Yeah, that's that's her legacy. And it has nothing to do with ego. It is just doing the right thing. It is being yes. a great human, which I would like to think everyone has the heart and the capacity for. And I'll hold on hope for that. And I know that not everyone is interested in getting into that field of work and they're givers, but they're givers at home or they're givers at their church or their synagogue. And that's good enough. And no, there's no judgment um, coming for me on that. The, um, uh, by the way, I love the story about filling up the tank. I'm going to remember that story because that, that is above and beyond and, you know, $35 to your point. The cookies, they don't cost anything and everyone likes a cookie, you know. Um, here's here's one for you. I get this question a lot as we're still in the, the pandemic, if you will, we're still remote. 
there are best practices in hospitality and certainly luxury hospitality, but I have to believe based on the world today, there are now next practices, practices that we're all now trying or, or your crew of people that, you know, that you're near and dear to are trying because those best practices, for example, being in close proximity, don't work as well as they used to two years ago. Anything, anything that's coming up or anything you feel like you're seeing uh, in the world of human interaction, I should say. Yeah, no, and you know, from a from a front desk perspective, and I like sharing this story. Uh, I ask individuals, "How do you check in at a front desk?" And you know, I show an image, uh, you know, from ten years ago of how people would check in at a front desk, and then. I switch to an image with a piece of plexiglass between the guest and the front office staff. We never would have thought that that would have happened, but we've had to learn to adapt to something like that. I work a lot with different sales teams. And the number one question that they're asking me is, how can I communicate properly in a real authentic manner that grabs onto the heart, souls, and minds of my customer through something like teleconference, video conference, web conference. How can I do that? And so actually next week I'm presenting to a group of sales professionals and I'm gonna give them some advice on how to do that. And really what it is, it, the suggestions are going to be, um, ask questions, ask questions in advance. Uh, send something perhaps in advance. Send you an antique racket a tennis racket so you could put on your wall. So then whenever we have conversations, you know, we have something that we can relate to. So it's really about keeping your eyes and ears open, asking questions, understanding what the needs are, understanding what problems you can solve, but then make it fun and interactive. Um, if I was sharing a screen right now and presenting, I could have the entire presentation behind me and I could be embedded into the presentation. So I'm not going to be a small little cube, but I could be as large as I want with a background of bamboo, be bamboo to be flexible. We can do things like that. Uh, so I think the suggestions are, how can you connect with people via this type of, of, of mm -hmm. style? And you can, you just have to think about it. Yeah. Right. Be, be aware, ask questions, solve problems, make it unique and memorable. <laughs> Make it fun, interactive, and show your authenticity and your passion. Don't tell me about the square footage of your ballroom. Don't tell me about I, we have this many digital products at VaynerMedia, right? Tell me something different. Tell me a story, not a snorry. Tell me about James that works at the front desk and has been there for 10 years. Tell me about Martha that works at VaynerMedia that travels by four different buses to get to work every single day, right? Tell me about Claude Silver and how special and unique you are with your two children, right? It's in, in Lovely Wife. There's so many stories to be shared. And I think people think, oh, it's business. I need to stay within these lines of business. We are all people, mm -hmm. right? We are all people. And this is what I love and appreciate about you, Claude is that I said something about um, first time we, we spoke, you immediately made me feel comfortable. You disarmed me because in my mind, I have the utmost respect for you, what you're doing, chief heart officer, you know, over a thousand employees. And you're just like, I'm just a person 
just like you, you are, I'm no busier than you, Bart. I'm no more important than you. And I know you take that same approach. I think that we need to share that a little bit more with individuals. People are people. I had an amazing conversation with the CEO of a company yesterday for, for the podcast. And she is going through some difficult times. We spent the first 25 minutes talking about how can I help you? <laughs> I'm in Northern Virginia. She's in California, you know, running a multi-million dollar company, but we're all people. And I think the more that we can get to the connection of who we are, how are we connected? How are our hearts touching each other? It's going to be so much better. So that's a really long-winded way of answering. I, lo- I love it because it comes, it just came back full circle to connection. And that was the question, how in this world? And so thank you for, thank you for that. And, you know, the idea of checking someone in with plexiglass has to be the most foreign concept in the world to people at the front desk, like nothing they ever thought they would go through. That's not why they signed up for the job. <laughs> yeah, That's exactly. not why they signed up for the job. And the same thing with when we speak, when you and I share keynote presentations, we want to have that experience of seeing people. Are we moving them to tears? Are we affecting them? Same thing when you're conducting conversations with you know your employees, right? You want to be able to see and feel that. And we have to make adjustments because I know sometimes if I'm doing a webinar, I'm not allowed, you know, everyone else has their camera off. I can't see them. So <laughs> then I just have to go from the faith and from the heart of, I believe this is the message, even though I can't see your reaction, I'm confident enough that you're going to feel the passion and enthusiasm that I have to share this with you. And then that's when you hope to get comments in the chat box. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Thumbs up. We love you. We love yeah, you, Bart. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, you're t- I'm totally with you. How many times have I just looked at myself? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> My PowerPoint, I'm just like, Oh God, I hope they really get the essence of Claude rather than this yeah. voice, you know, coming through. I yeah. I hear you. I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> let's let's talk about the how did you land on the most perfect title ever? Most people don't for your book. Because it's exactly, it's actually the antithesis of what we're talking about. Yeah. How did that, you know, asteroid hit your head? Yeah, And I was just speaking with a friend of mine in Hawaii, Joshua David, and we were discussing, there was a lot of things that happened to me out of body experience when I was having nose surgery as a young child. And the TEDx talk kind of explains a little bit more about that. But ever since that happened to me, as an out of body experience, I then gravitated to the negative. Uh, I was afraid of dying. I was afraid of losing control. I was worried all the time. And then depression kind of came about. Um, And I'm not uh, embarrassed to say that because that's who I am. And I know why it happened. And I am certainly dealing with it. When I say most people don't, I don't want that to be a negative thought. Because what I always try to do is turn the other side of it. Most people don't follow up but you do, you can, you will. And this is why you should, because you're going to feel great. The person that you're saying thank you and sharing gratitude with is going to feel amazing. So I always try to hit that other side. Most people don't came when I was doing recruiting for Ritz Carlton. I was at a school university and I was going through a recruitment scenario and people did not network. Um, People did not accept challenges. People didn't follow up. You know, I interviewed 50 well-qualified candidates. 
waited to see who would follow up. Well, only 10 followed up. That automatically went to the category of most people don't follow up. 40 out of 50 don't follow up. So when I was trying to instill and share with some college and university students, what can they do to get a job? What can they do to show they're different? And then it became even senior people when they were looking to get promoted. What could they do to show their worth, to show their value, to show that they're different? Do what most people don't. Mm. So it came out as really as that that acronym. And it, it just it, it seemed right. It seemed right. It was easy to remember. I think I shared with you, I was able to trademark those three words. Most people don't, which is just unbelievable to me that it worked, but um, simple, easy to remember. And when people do what most people don't, it really does make a difference. Yeah. It, it makes a difference. I And I'm so glad you talked about the, um, the, the actual optimism and positivity in the statement, because of course people would see the word don't and they're like, eh. But you flipped it to be like, hey, but you are the rebel. You do. You are the believer. You do. You'll go the extra mile, get the umbrella out of the car to make sure she doesn't get wet. I, I love that you flipped that. Yeah. And it hold, is, you, yeah. No, please. Oh, I was going to say, you'll hold open the door for someone. You will remember their birthday. Mm -hmm. You will celebrate for no other reason other than celebrating and surprising somebody. You will recognize the little things that other people do. Like all of these things, just imagine if all of us, and there was a company that interviewed me not that long ago, and you'll laugh at this. They said, what do you eventually hope to achieve with your company? I said, I would like most people don't that term to go away <laughs> because I want everyone Everyone does. Yeah. Right. right. Let, let's change my second company, Bart Berkey 2.0. Everyone does. Everyone Bart does. Berkey. Yeah. Right. <laughs> most, Why not? Most, yeah. Most people do. Yes. Let's do that. Let's yeah. do that. I'm into that. And let's, I mean, I'm, I'm so into that. And I know you're into that. And that's why we yeah. jam and gel. And yeah. there's such an enormous swath of people out there that are doing this work that have hearts to help. That's what I call it. That, take care of people who need it. And the need back to your parents can be anything from teaching, educating to need in a luxury hotel. It doesn't, you know, I, I, yes, there's a different level of entitlement. Let's say if you're able to stay in a luxury hotel, but that's, that's neither here nor there. It's um, you, you still need it. You still deserve it. It's still available to you. And I think it goes back. What we're talking about really hits the, I'm worthy of. I am worthy of receiving an unexpected gift. And I am worthy of being inspired enough to send an unexpected gift. Yes. Oh, that is powerful. And I'm learning this, again, learning things from you, learning things from so many other people that too often we have this negative talk in our own minds that is limiting beliefs. And someone had shared that, and I don't know if this statistic is appropriate, but like one third of all the messages that you're talking about might be negative. And we're going to believe them because it's in our own head and it's in our own voice. And therefore we don't think that we are worthy, that we're worthy of receiving or that we're worthy of giving. Mm -hmm. And if we change that thinking, 
And I'm, I'm really recently into, you know, learning about the, you know, the vibrations of the universe and positivity. And if I don't feel that I'm worthy, how can I really truly give to anyone else? And someone the other day um, tried sending me, Venmo me five bucks. And just as a thank you for something. And I typed back or texted back, not necessary, right? Not necessary. Thank you, but not necessary. And it's so funny. He's just like, that was my way of showing gratitude. I wanted to not gratitude in his perspective is a verb. It's a doing word. I wanted to show you gratitude, not just say thank you. Thank you. Right. No, I wanted to show you. And he said, you need to allow the universe to be worthy enough to accept it. $5 isn't going to make a difference in my life. Right. But accepting and feeling worthy enough to accept five bucks. And so I'm like, okay, here's my Venmo. And you ended up sending me 20 bucks instead. You know? So, um, so I like what you were saying, being worthy. We need to make sure that we feel worthy about giving and receiving. Yes. And that you deserve it. And it's available to you. Yeah. And that I think is a human right. Yes. That it is available to you. Everything that this universe has to offer that has nothing to do with materialism, you know, that's a whole nother, whole nother topic for a whole it, other time, but it is, but it's given me goosebumps already. Just even thinking about the conversation. It's so, it's so, uh, it's so right. And I definitely feel as though there's been a shift Then maybe it's the pandemic that's brought about this shift in, um, in the collective, whether or not it's unconscious or, or, or conscious, I'm not sure, but towards more heart, towards more acceptance, towards more, most people don't, but you do. Yeah. And I, I get the sense also that it's more real than ever before. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you read all the statistics about the great resignation and people leaving the workforce, they might be leaving some traditional jobs that don't offer the flexibility that don't have the culture of kindness like VaynerMedia does, but they're still contributing. They're still doing things to fill their soul usually by giving to others. It's just not listed as a Fortune 1000 company that they're mm-hmm. still working for. But I, I really get that sense also, Clyde, that there yeah. is there is more of a movement and it's not just talk. And it, I chatted with a, another person again just the other day and he left the company because he didn't feel that there was enough kindness existing. This was years ago. So he started his own company. And he started it spreading kindness and he established the culture, just like, you know, you have done with Gary and many others. You have created the culture, your decision. And that's why and that's why you continue to grow and be successful. I mean, one of the reasons why you continue to grow and be successful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And, And I think you and I could both probably agree on it's not about being right or about being first or about building the tallest building. It's about being better in this world. Easy to be better to become. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, my friend, on that note, I think we're going to wrap this up. I I like tingling with joy of our conversation. Well, you are an incredible individual, an incredible human being. I'm so happy that we are connected and love that you continue to spread the ideas of emotional optimism to so many others. So, Claude, thank you. Thank you. Thank you you for including me. Thank you, Bart. You're a legend. Hey, everybody. 
if you want to start a podcast or you have a podcast that you want to get up and running, please, please reach out to my team at onairbrands.com. That's onairbrands.com. They're the best.